Welcome to the Art of Getting Your Shit Together podcast, where each week we help you identify the bullshit that's holding you back and discover the courage to take action to create a life you love and enjoy. Well, welcome everybody back to Tagist. We have an interview. Can you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) The interviews kind of slowed down with COVID and all that good stuff. And we did a couple, you know, we do a lot of interviews virtually, but it's always fun to connect in person. Mm -hmm. And so we're sitting with one of our favorite people, Megan Blau. And before we jump into the interview, I just want to share a little bit of a background because we are going to dig into one of the most inspirational stories you're going to hear ever. So we adore Megan. You're going to love her story. So Megan is the owner and lead design of Blue Copper Design. Her career in design started during her personal journey to renovate and adapt her first home. As a woman with a spinal cord injury, she utilizes a wheelchair to live her life and has been obsessed with design since she can remember. When it came time to purchase her first home, Megan wanted her space to feel stylish and curated, but needed the space to function to her customized needs. After Megan's spinal cord injury, she quickly experienced the difference a well-functioning space can make. For her, having a well-designed space means going beyond just the gorgeous fixtures and luxurious pillows. It means creating a space that creates freedom, harmony, and peace. When Megan is not waist-deep in design, you can find her wandering the aisles of Target with the rest of us. (laughs) discovering new places to eat tacos, delicious, (laughs) and searching for her latest Netflix obsession. And we are not just here to talk about adaptive design, which you're brilliant at. She has a brilliant design aesthetic, but we're also here to share her story of resiliency. And even in the face of tragedy and a life-altering injury, we really want to talk about how Megan has still created an extraordinary life full of adventure, love, service, and new beginnings and the steps and the mindset it took to achieve that. So Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> oh my gosh. I I mean, we've been friends for a little while, so I'm just excited to be on your podcast. Oh, we're happy to have you here. And you recently had shared a post on Instagram and that's why we were like, hello, why don't we have Megan on the podcast? Because it was a recent anniversary of when this injury happened. So, yeah. So I've been paralyzed for 11 years now. My anniversary of my paralysis date is in June and I always choose to celebrate it. I always make like some kind of a post for however I'm feeling for the past year. Um, So I'm glad that you guys responded to it and yeah, and we're able to read it and kind of really get what I was trying to say about my journey over the past 11 years. So, yeah. So I would love to start kind of from the beginning and even who Megan was prior, right? Because I'm sure any kind of life-changing incident or tragedy or whatever label you want to put on it can really shift your life. But I would love to know kind of, I think everyone wants to know who Megan was before, what happened itself, and then kind of, we'll just kind of go take it from there. Perfect. Yeah. So I was 17 when I was injured. So Megan before was in high school. (laughs) I was just, I don't know, like a normal teenager, I guess. Like, I guess normal. I mean, I got into some trouble, so I don't know if that's normal, but whatever. So I was, yeah, I've always grown up here in Arizona. I was an active swimmer. I've always been a swimmer my whole life. So I was on the swim team in my high school and did lifeguarding for a few years too. 
as my high school job. And that's relevant because I broke my neck when I was 17 diving into a swimming pool. So I just graduated high school like two weeks before my injury. I was swimming with some friends and dove the wrong way, hit the bottom and kind of the rest is history there. So Mm -hmm. one of the most common questions I've always gotten is like, wasn't the pool shallow? Like, didn't you know? Like, wasn't there a sign? <laughs> and I'm like, yes to everything. There was a sign. I think you posted that too. Yeah. Yes, there was a sign. Yeah, yes, there's a sign. Was- <laughs> As we know, signs don't really do much. Yes. But also, like, being a swimmer my whole life, competitively and otherwise, like, I was, I was always diving into four foot pools. Like, that wasn't uncommon for me, and it wasn't uncommon for my swim team, and it wasn't uncommon for my friends. So, I wasn't doing anything like uncommon when I got injured. Sounds like you had a lot of confidence around water too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been like a water baby my whole life. So I'm just obsessed with swimming. So it's just where I'm most comfortable and it's still where I'm most comfortable, which is like, I'm happy that that is still something that's part of my life. So I don't know. I mean, Megan before I was just a 16 year old kid in high school, hanging out with my friends, like partying a little bit, getting into some trouble. And yeah, I mean, that was about it. So I feel like my life started when I was injured, even though that's not quite true, but my adulthood started then for sure. So it was like a very definitive transitioning second, mm-hmm. like literally one second to the next I could walk and then I couldn't walk. Mm-hmm. So, and beyond, I mean, paralysis goes beyond walking, which we can get into later, but yeah. So, so, so that did you that. wake up? Like, did you know what was going on while mm-hmm. the event was happening did you like go unconscious and then wake up in a hospital and somebody was like, Hey, and then kind of broke the, or were you kind of there the whole time? Cause yeah. you know, some people will have, and I guess some people go into shock too, and they kind of don't recall, but do you recall a lot surrounding that? I do. So I think from the minute, from the second it happened, my experience is unique from other stories that I've heard. So I dove into the pool immediately. I felt like the electricity from my chest down, leave my body. And that was it. It was like, it's so hard to explain, but I guess that's the way to explain it. So I could feel like from my level of injury down, just like, like, and then it, it was gone. And so I remember floating face down in the pool and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to turn over or I'm going to drown. And I turned over, which I guess was miraculous that I could even do that in the first place. It didn't seem anything special to me. I just turned over and, um, I started freaking out, like freaking out, (laughs) straight panic. And my friends thought I was kidding and joking and being dramatic and stuff, which whatever. And, and I was like, so I just started freaking out more and more and more. And, um, my best friend at the time was with me and she was also a swimmer and a lifeguard and she believed me and she was holding my head in the pool. So she was like, okay, something's obviously wrong. And I just remember being like, give me a minute, give me a minute. Like I'll be able to get out of this pool. Like I just need a minute, you know, I just hit my head or I hit something Mm -hmm. and that minute never came. So the whole day, I mean, it was interesting. I was also in a public pool, so I wasn't at home. So there was other people around, which was confusing and weird, but that's whatever. And so to get out of the pool, my friends finally like put a kickboard behind my head and got me out of the pool because there was a backboard. And even though I was trained and my friend was trained on how to use that, you really need three people to do that. And so she couldn't do it by herself. So at some point we were like, we just have to get out of the pool. I guess I was in the pool for like a half hour to 40 minutes. It felt like 
two seconds, but yeah. So we got out of the pool. She called 911. And then I don't remember much after that, but I remember the exact moment. I don't remember like the ambulance ride and being in the hospital besides being like really belligerent (laughs) and cursing at the doctors. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So sorry. (laughs) And I remember being really cold and that was about it. And then after my surgery, I woke up and I was out of it for like a week. So yeah, there was probably a solid week that I don't remember of my life due to drugs and trauma and shock and things like that. So yeah, all those protective mechanisms that our bodies Mm -hmm. go through to like help us survive. Yeah. I think one of the funniest thing I'll never forget, like my grandparents came, I guess I, I didn't know. And I was in the ICU bed and I would like have these periods of like waking up, you know, and yeah. trying to figure out what's going on. And my, gra- <laughs> my grandparents are weird. And they brought a potato in a jar <laughs> as instead of like flowers, because I guess potatoes grow. And that's when I learned that, that you could put a potato in a jar and it grows. And so I'd wake up and I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, it was like right in front of me. <laughs> and because apparently like some people are adverse to bringing flowers to hospitals because of like allergies and yeah. stuff. So they like must have Googled. I don't know what, I don't know. But I like vividly remember for a week trying to be like, what is that? And it would grow. So like every time I woke up, it was like different to me. And once I figured out what it was, I was like, I don't need this potato. And I threw it away. <laughs> But I was like, I just want flowers. Have you ever potatoes the same? <laughs> no, I really haven't. Like when they start sprouting, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I put it in a jar and bring it to someone in the hospital. Like, what well, bizarre. My family is what? bizarre. It's such a unique, I'll say unique <laughs> gift. <laughs> but the, I, I mean, the potato was like, I knew I was out of it. Like when I realized it was a potato, I was like, that was a freaking alien to me for like a week. So <laughs> <laughs> that is a funny story. Yeah. At least you have that, though. You yeah. had a potato. There was yeah. a potato during that time. There was a potato. It was my friend. <laughs> it was a friend. He's there with you. Yeah. Just growing in a jar. Yeah. So there wasn't much I remembered of that week, but I do remember the surgeon coming in, and he was, like, trying to explain to me what happened. So what happened during my accident was one of my vertebrae in my neck went into my spinal cord, so leaving my spinal cord bruised. And the spinal cord is a different thing in the body. And I'm not a doctor, but I will try to do the best I can with what knowledge I have about it. It doesn't regenerate like most of our body parts. You know, you like get a scratch, your skin heals. Like once the spinal cord is damaged, as of now, it's pretty much damaged. So you can have a little bit of regeneration or healing. You know, it all depends on the person and the injury and everything like that. But once it's hurt, it's hurt. So they had to do surgery to remove the broken bone and fused my spine together. But even with that, it left my spinal cord bruised. And so he was trying to explain this to me as I like, can't even figure out what a potato is. And, <laughs> and I was like, I don't understand. Like, I just didn't understand what he meant. He's like, you're paralyzed. You're quadriplegic. I never remember anyone ever telling me like, you're never going to walk again or anything like dramatic like that. But I remember asking him, I'm like, can you just like cut my legs off and get, I'll get fake ones and like prosthetics is what I meant. And he's like, no, like it doesn't work that way. And I was like, I like couldn't understand. I'm like, "Uh, okay, like just give me some fake legs. Like if mine's don't work anymore, that's fine. Just give me, give me fake ones. He's like, no, like it's no, it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. So then that took like a couple days for me to understand like what he was trying to say. And I don't know, like the beginning is so foggy for me for so many reasons. Like 
I just remember being, I didn't get the like gravity of what he was trying to tell me you right. know, as a 17 year old girl who was just like hanging out with her friends. And then all of a sudden you're like in the hospital and you can't move trying to like beg for fake legs. Cause that seems like a good option <laughs> like at the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, I-, I don't know. So I don't think it hit me until I got transferred out of the ICU and into Barrows at St. Joe's, they have a neurological center. So that's when I kind of realized like, oh, like this is affected more than my legs as a quadriplegic. So yeah, well, that's kind of the beginning days. Yeah. She can still use her arms. Everybody. Yeah. I know nobody can see you. We can see you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we'll go into a little bit, I guess, about spinal cord injuries. Every person with a spinal cord injury is completely different. They call us little snowflakes because you can have the same level of injury, the same thing happen, and everyone presents differently. Mm -hmm. I'm a quadriplegic technically because I broke my neck. So anytime your injury is in your neck, you're a quadriplegic. If it's in your back or like thoracic, wherever, in your back, anywhere, you're a paraplegic. And what that means is that the nerves... And the things that control your upper body, so your arms, even parts of your chest, lungs, things like that, is all functioned from your neck. Even if you hit T1, you might have a tiny bit of arm loss, function loss, but most of the time you're in the clear. That's how that works. So a lot of people have this image of like what a quadriplegic looks like. And you think of Christopher Reeves or someone in a power chair who like literally can't move anything, but that's not true. So what it means is that you're all four limbs are affected and affected is such a broad term. You could lose feeling, you could lose sensation, you could lose movement, you can lose a combination of all of it. All right. Yeah. So I did not know that. Yeah. So I can't snap my fingers anymore. Okay. Number three, like, oh, I'm showing Jenna and Lindsay my like like, proof of quadriplegia because people don't believe me and I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Um, So I have like a lot of little muscles in my hands and arms that are paralyzed and then like loss of feeling in the back of my arms and stuff too. So some of it's like numb. It just feels different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's that. But it is such a hard condition. It's not a disease. I don't know what to call it. An injury, I guess. Because like no two people are the same yeah, and they never will be. You can also have people who walk or people who have use of like one leg and can kind of walk that way. It all just depends on where it hits in the spinal cord. Yeah. It's fascinating actually. It is. It's fascinating. It's more common for quadriplegics to regain the ability to walk than paraplegics, which is interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So they could still lose a lot of function in their arms, but be able to walk. And I, what I've been told, the reason for that is it takes a lot less force to break your neck than it does your back. So your injury might not be as severe to your spinal cord yeah, itself. Yeah. And so like the little nerves in your spinal cord that go to your legs might be able to heal more because it's not as like forceful of an impact. So that's a little rundown, I guess, of spinal cord injuries. No, I learned something. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. This is a weird question. So forgive (laughs) me, but is there, I've heard that you can sometimes feel weird things afterwards, like almost like phantom nerve pain or Mm -hmm. do you experience that? I don't. Thank goodness. But yeah, like that's a really, really common symptom afterwards is like nerve pain. Where you feel like a nerve pain in your foot, but you can't feel your foot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for me personally, I have really, really good like feeling and sensation in my whole body. I, it doesn't feel the same, but I'm, 
after 11 years too, I've been able to be like, okay, you're touching my leg. And I, it, I, oh. like, I've learned what that means for myself, but everyone is different with that. So some people like literally can't feel anything. Some people can feel everything, not move anything. For me, sometimes it like feels like my leg is asleep, but then I can actually feel my leg going to sleep. It's a mess. It's just like a physical mess, but, <laughs> but I've learned to navigate it and navigate it really well. So, but yeah, nerve pain isn't something I deal with, but I have a lot of friends who do. And mm-hmm. it's sounds horrible. Well, that- so horrible. It adds an extra layer to rehabilitation is Mm -hmm. not just learning how to be mobile or utilizing a chair or relearning how to walk or any of that. It's literally everything. It's literally everything. I mean, from going to the bathroom to brushing your teeth, like every, every single thing has changed in my life. Like I did not pee the same way a normal person pees. I don't put my pants on the same way. I guess normal is not a good word, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> someone who Those can walk. Those of us who have yeah two legs that we walk on every yeah. day. Yeah. Like that saying, it's like, we all put our pants like on one we leg at a time. Yeah. I'm like, no, I don't. I put them on both legs at a time. Actually, I don't. Actually, I don't. So my own way. Yeah. Physically, it was, uh, I mean, traumatic. It's just the best word for it. I mean, you are used to living one way. And then you completely have to change everything and get this. You don't know anyone else who has done that before. You know, like you have your friends in the hospital, but then they're all different. And we're all dealing with our own trauma emotionally and physically. So yeah, like it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess for sure. But there's a lot of things that got me through it. And when I got transferred to Barrows, I don't remember exactly. But I was like, okay, I'm going to like utilize every second that I have here because I knew I was like, this is the safe spot, which I know a lot of people who have spent like long periods of time in the hospital. This is also kind of common where you're like, I have nurses, I have doctors, I have a call button. I just press it and someone comes like, I need to take advantage of this time because when I go home, I'm not going to have a call button. You know, I need to like soak in as much as I possibly can. That makes sense. Yeah. So I that way after I had my baby, I'm like, don't go away. Yeah. (laughs) Please keep helping me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, totally like a physically different thing, you know? And then you also have like your baby that you have to take care of. You're like, please help me take care of her too. Totally different scenario, but I, (laughs) I see where you could totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like we're going to do this. Like, I don't really have a choice. I can't get fake likes. We're going to have to learn how to live. So yeah, so I just took advantage of everything. I made friends with nurses. I was in surprisingly good spirits. Like people thought that I was a little, like I might've lost my mind a little bit. That's how happy I was, but I didn't, I didn't lose my mind. I don't know. There was just one day I remember laying there and I was like, I feel joy. Like I just, I don't know why I feel joy. And it wasn't because I thought I was going to die. It wasn't because I thought like my life has been saved. A lot of people call that anniversary day that we were talking about earlier. They call it their life day. And I'm like, I don't really relate to that. I don't feel like my life was going to be taken away in the way that my accident was. So I don't know. I just, I felt like myself. It was weird. I love that you say that. I've heard you say before too, like part of, part of who I am and the experience that I made out of all this is just part of who Megan is. It's, it's mm-hmm. just me. And so just you saying that now reiterates that. Yeah. And it was, it was from so early on that it, it was bizarre. I'm not going to lie. Like if I had a friend or a daughter 
you like go through this and then all of a sudden they're like, I just feel like myself. Be like, what? Okay. <laughs> like, um, are you okay? Like, did you, how hard did you hit your head? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also remember, I guess, like going back to pre Megan, walking Megan, I don't know what to call her. I always knew, like, I, I was like, okay, you're like, you can do big things in your life. And so I think when this happened, I was like, oh, this is might be your opportunity to do big things. Like, not only overcome, and do like bare minimum physically to be able to be independent, but like exceed that, you know, mm-hmm. which, which I feel like I have today, which is great. But, but having that feeling, I understand a lot of people don't feel. And so I'm really empathetic to that, which is why sometimes I feel like a little guilty when people are like, Oh my gosh, you're like doing so great. I'm like, yeah, but it kind of came easy to me. It came easy to me in the beginning where I was like, this is me. I can do this. And I don't know if that at that time, it was like a false sense of confidence of like, I can do this. Or I was just trying to say that to convince it, convince myself. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, okay, so I'm also 17 at the time. So I'm still 17. I graduated high school, which is cool. Like, thank goodness, my mom started me in kindergarten a year early. So I didn't have to go back to high school during this whole like shindig. But I had plans to go to NAU. It was like my dream to live in Flagstaff. Was like counting down the seconds. She's still obsessed with Flagstaff. Still obsessed with Flagstaff. And I was just there this weekend. And yeah, I it needs to be more accessible. And that's a different story. Anyways, so <laughs> I could not wait. I could not wait to go to Flagstaff. And I realized I was like, okay, I don't think that's going to happen. Like there was a moment where I was like, I don't think it's going to work out for me to live in Flagstaff two months from now, you know, after this. I was in the hospital for... What was it? Six weeks? Like six or seven weeks. So, I mean, I just got out of the hospital like right when I was trying to move to Flagstaff. So that wasn't going to work. But like my independence as a child was always really important to me. And I was like, I have to get that back. Like there was not an option for me Mm -hmm. to live with my parents. It wasn't an option for me to live in an assisted living area. It wasn't an option for me at all, at all for anyone else to take care of me in my life. This was a no fail mission. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And after being like in the hospital for that long with all like the amazing doctors and nurses, and um, we had like a mentoring program that was really important for me. They showed me that like it is an option, like you you can live on your own. So I really was like grasping at all the straws that I could and was like, okay, I can do this. Like I can do this because there's no other option, first of all. And then I can do this because other people have done it. So like all of those things over that time was like really positive for me. It sounds forward. like you had really good support that you learned to trust while you were there too, that could guide you and helping you to figure out how to live on your own. Like when you actually left, did you ever feel like you took for granted some of the things that you had before your accident? Hmm. And then were you able to adjust once you did leave? You know, you had this wonderful mindset while you were there, but did that change for you once you actually got home? Yeah, absolutely. It did. I did have really good support in the hospital. And then when I got home, like it really hit me. So I spent four days on the sofa, like didn't leave the sofa at all. Just cried. I just cried at home for four days and it was horrible. It was, it was what I was dreading when I was in the hospital. Cause you know, now you're in your home and your home is not the same. It's mm-hmm. not comfortable. It's not safe. It's not made for you. And it was my parents' home. So it wasn't really made for me anyways, but you know, I grew up there. So mm-hmm. I just cried. I just cried for four days. And I remember the fourth day I was like, okay, 
that was good. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. Yeah. We have to live your life. You don't have a choice. You know, I guess, and I guess looking back, I did have a choice, but I didn't allow myself to have one, you know, because I didn't want, I didn't want to sit on the couch and cry anymore. I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. We have to learn how to pick yourself up and move on. But I do also think that those four days were like had to happen. You're grieving. I was grieving. It was really like, it was the seven stages of grieving. Isn't one of them like sadness or depression, like that, whatever it was, like that was the day, those four days that it had to happen because I really wasn't that emotional in the hospital for probably a thousand reasons. But, but yeah, it hit me then. So yeah, that was like, I mean, bringing up grieving, that was like the first experience I had with grieving besides my dog dying when I was in high school. This was bizarre. It was like the death of who you were and you're still here. So you need to recreate yourself, you know? And everything was different from the moment you got home. Mm-hmm. Like As you're describing this, I can, what I'm hearing is, you know, you were distracted in so many ways at the hospital mm-hmm. and you had all these positive influences and now you get home, which was home for you, but mm-hmm. now you're not comfortable even in your own home because it's all different. Yeah. So not only you're different, but your environment's different. Everything is different. So of course that grief, when we think of grieving, we think of loss, but we forget that it could be loss of something else or part of us. And we talked about that when when we talked about COVID a few months back, but truly grieving a loss mm-hmm. yeah. of your body. Yeah. It was a loss of my body for sure. And also the realization that it's never going to come back, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I know that that seems like really negative and grim. And there's a lot of people with my same experience who don't think that way. And I respect that. But for me, over my recovery throughout the years, I felt I was like, you know, I could probably walk again if I dedicated my life to it. And I had to make that choice. I was like, I don't want to do that. Like I have other things that I need to do in my life. And I want to learn how to live my life in a chair and still be able to do those things. And people sometimes think that's nuts and crazy. But for me, I really was able to and still am able to dissociate walking with having a good life. They're not the same. I don't need to walk to have a good life. I don't need to walk to have a full life. And with the science and technology now, I'm pretty well aware that even if I do walk, it's not going to be the same. I will probably always need an assistive device, at least with like the technology we have now. And I don't want to spend my time that way. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to spend my time for a 2% chance of stumbling with a walker again <laughs> and, and dedicating my whole life, years my life savings, everything. Like it wasn't worth it to yeah. me. When you so. can start mastering something now. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of the road I went on for sure. And then you have like your family, which is... I was just going to ask about that because you're yes. grieving your own loss yes. and then your family is standing by on the side. Right. Probably having their own experience. Totally. Yeah. And I remember dealing with my family's emotions was worse than dealing with my physical situation. So there was that too. Like I had something worse to deal with than being paralyzed, which is whatever. But at the same time, it was like a driving force for me. I was like, okay, if I prove that I'm okay, then everyone else will be okay. And I took that on. And it wasn't until like recently, like in the past couple of years that I was like, that was maybe 
not the healthiest mindset to have with that. But at the same time, it got you some really great results. So I'm thankful for it. But like taking on the responsibility of other people's emotions was heavy. Do you know your Enneagram? Um, seven. Are you? Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you if you were a two. No. <laughs> seven. Maybe I was a two back then. I don't know if it changes. <laughs> so you're wanderlust. You're an adventurer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, that's how I... But they're like the most optimistic too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the eternal pretty... optimist. Yeah. I mean, so there was a combination of things, you know, like physically started doing better. Emotionally, I was like, well, even though you're really sad that you still feel more like yourself than you ever have. Like you're, you do feel comfortable in your body in a time where you shouldn't. So that was, you know, positive. And then the drive, oh my gosh, the drive for independence. Like I could not live with my parents another second that I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I need to get out of here. And yeah, so all of those things like really drove me. And then the way I found it was I just started saying yes to everything. All of the resources that I had, I said yes to. The adventures. There's a lot of adventures for people in wheelchairs. And you go on some pretty kick-ass I adventures. I sure now. do. <laughs> I sure do. And I always have. And like the things I do now are nothing compared to what I did back then. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm like old and boring now. I need to like get back to my... I think that doesn't matter. With That's all of us. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think so natural. too. I think refreshing. Yeah. I got to take my vitamins and go to bed yeah. at 8 p.m. <laughs> yeah. And then you forget to take your vitamins. <laughs> yeah. And then I forgot to take them. And then exactly. the next day is horrible. No. Yeah. Tell us about some of your adventures because it's pretty incredible. Yeah. So that, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful to the Arizona Spinal Cord Injury Association. And there's so many companies, but all of the companies that they work with, because if it wasn't for those outlets, like I really don't think I would be where I am today. But I just started saying yes to everything. So someone's like, do you want to try horseback riding? I was like, yeah, sure. I don't like horses, but okay. <laughs> tried that. And I was like, cool, I don't need to do that again. But I'm <laughs> glad I tried it. I had really awesome therapists who took me. There's a spinal cord injury retreat, or there was at least every year. And so I got out of the hospital in early August, this was like late August. And they're like, you're going. And I was like, I am wearing adult diapers and I have a neck brace. They're like, we're honestly not even going to ask your doctor. You're just going to go. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) And like, was it legal? I don't know, but it was fine with me. And so I spent a weekend up in the woods there. And so I was around probably like 50 or 60 other people in chairs, all different levels of injury, all different years of being injured. Building that community was huge for me. And then from there, oh my gosh, what else did we do? I was like doing the rowing team, like went rowing on Tempe Town Lake. That was frightening because I didn't want to fall in. That was like the one place you do not want to swim here in Arizona. Yeah. As no, you guys I, I, know. Agree. I have to agree. Yeah. Ugh, gross. was going to sign up for a, you were going to swim in it, you weirdo. Yeah, I didn't want to, but yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to. Did you? No, I didn't. Oh, gosh. My, my I was husband like, wanted to sign us up for a sprint triathlon. Oh, yeah. And I'm, part of the relay was swimming in that filth. And they're like, Kyle asked us. It's like, yeah, that's going to be a hard no from me. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who's in a chair who did that. I don't know. I can't remember if it was like for disabled people or if she entered with every – like in the whatever, the normal one. And she asked me to do it. And I was like, nope, that's my deal breaker. I'm like, take me to a real lake. Sure. I'll swim there. I'm not swimming in. I don't even like real lakes. Pond. Like we go to the other lakes. I don't, it's kind I don't of like deep murky waters that I can't see in. Yeah. I don't like the ocean very much. I'm just not. <laughs> I'd rather be in the mountains. <laughs> I'd rather be in the mountains. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Or the pool. Same. Yeah, that's fine. Same. But you have 
a chair that allows you to like yeah. basically hike. Yeah. I just got that about five years ago. I'll get into that later. Oh yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait to yeah, talk about we'll it. We'll talk about that. But in the beginning, like, oh my gosh, I just said so many things that I forgot. I mean, horseback riding. Let's see. What else did I say? Oh, rowing. There's a disability gym here in Phoenix that opened in like the first or second year of my injury. And so a lot of programs were getting run through that. I just signed up for everything and I just, I just took advantage of everything. I was doing online school and then I ended up going to ASU that next fall. So that was awesome. And then I think my most favorite thing I've ever done was scuba diving. So I got scuba certified and we went to Mexico as a group and like did two, two dives a day for seven days. I was like, it was so easy for me. Yeah. Now they will, I'm hoping maybe to go back in October. I'm not sure. We'll see what COVID does. But I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm so tired. Like, I don't know how I did two ocean dives like for seven days straight. I'm like, I got to get back in shape for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Straight adrenaline. Yeah. So yeah, that was my most favorite thing that I did. And that kind of like led me into meeting my husband too in a roundabout way. But that came a couple of years later after my scuba trip. But on that trip, I met a therapist who was like, hey, you're like really good at swimming. I'm like, yeah, I am. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I continued to swim after my injury. Like I was in the pool for therapy and stuff and I learned how to swim. And he was like, you should try out for the Paralympics. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) He's like, it's the Olympics for paralyzed people. I was like, oh, okay, maybe. And then that was just like ringing in my head and did a lot of research about it. And I was like, yeah, I guess I can do that too. And yeah, so I tried out for the Paralympics. I didn't make it. But I did that for about two or three years when I was in college. So swam with like master's teams. I didn't even have a coach like at all. Like looking back, that was also one of those things where I was like, okay, I could do this. But like, do you want to dedicate all your time and energy into swimming competitively again? And my answer was no at the time. So I was like, just like rogue on my own, just like trying (laughs) to make it to the Paralympics. I think it was Was it Tokyo or Rio? Whatever one was earlier. I think it was Tokyo. I was like, I just really want to go to Japan. So I'm going to try to swim my way there, but it didn't work. So it was fine. But yeah, so just a lot, a lot of saying yes to a lot of things. I tried wheelchair rugby. So if anyone's seen that documentary Murder Ball that came out probably like 20 years ago now, quadriplegic guys and like battle ram chairs, like slamming into each other, playing like soccer football. Yep. Yeah, I was. I tried that for a few years. It was fun, but I since being I was a, I'm a high level quad, and they used to call me fingers, and I used to have to like tape them all up and stuff because they didn't have the hand function. I was like, I'm out of here. I don't want to do this for you guys. And the, <laughs> the drama on male sports teams was insane. Oh, so yeah, I was like, between you guys calling me fingers and like all your drama. I'm out of here. So I'm like, I don't even like this that much, but I just, yeah. I mean, I still carry that to this day. I'm waiting for like the tide to turn where I get to start saying no to things, but I think it's going to be a while, but I feel like a lot of my success just came from saying, yes, yes, sure. I'll try that. Yeah, sure. I'll try that. And meeting a lot of people and making connections that way. Mm -hmm. There's something to be said for that. A lot of us don't say yes to things or ourselves very often. Mm -hmm. So I think when you have the opportunity to learn something in a new body that you're unfamiliar with and the fact that you said yes, and you said at the beginning, I don't have a choice. And I'm thinking, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. You had a choice. I didn't realize I had a choice then. But you made the choice. Mm -hmm. 
what felt then probably like I didn't have a choice was I'm making the choice to make something here. Yeah. Instead of you could have taken a different path and that could have looked a million different ways, but instead you decided. And I think in your post, what did you say that you made it? Did you say it was the best thing that happened? Yeah, I've said like that. Yeah, I still stand by that. Yeah, for sure. When I say it, I've said it to strangers before, like, and they're like, oh my God, this girl's nuts. I'm like, no, being paralyzed was the best thing that's ever happened to me. You know, I spent a long time, the majority of my 11 years, saying yes to myself and really like reaping the benefits of that. And the confidence that that's given me, it's priceless, I guess, the confidence that that's given me. Like, I might be paralyzed, but like, if I can scuba dive and I can go to the Paralympics and I can row on Tempe Town Lake and I can, hike and I can travel the world, like, what can I do? You know, like I might not be able to walk, but I can do all these other things. So just like proving that to myself time and time again was really, really valuable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so inspiring is because you took a situation that could have devastated a lot of people and you made the best out of it and you still make the best out of it all the time. And one of the reasons we wanted you to tell and share your story is to inspire everyone, regardless of your situation. We've all had a lot of, I mean, with COVID, it's been crazy too, because I feel like everybody's kind of grieving losses. Yeah. We still all have choices. Mm -hmm. You know, we, it's okay to grieve. We always say it's okay to grieve, but you have a choice. Mm -hmm. Where you go from there is up to you. Yeah. And I just think it's, I don't know, it's just, there's something, it's just so inspiring. And I love everything that you've done. Like we're sitting in your home right now she has the most beautiful home as an interior. They even call it interior design anymore. I'm a designer. You're a designer. <laughs> we do different designs. True. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> but she does home design. Yeah. And you do commercial too, right? Yeah. So full circle, I'm doing a project for Ability360, which is the gym that I just talked about doing some of their renovations. So, oh my gosh, so excited about it. So excited. And COVID's been like a blessing and a curse with that one. They had to close down. So we got a lot of things done, but then kind of delayed some of our contractors and stuff. Yeah. So I do residential and commercial. But I guess I would say it's the best thing that's happened to me because I also, pre-Megan, was (laughs) Megan before wheelchair, BW Megan. (laughs) I was a good person, but I wasn't doing good things. Like I was partying a little too much and my goals were a little skewed and I wasn't myself looking back. I didn't realize it then. And so I feel like this really like stopped me in my tracks. My gosh, like at one point in my life, and this might be TMI, but it was my goal to try every single drug in the world. And I never made it that far. So, (laughs) Um, but you know, like those were the goals I had (laughs) as a 16 year old, which I mean, I don't know if that's common, but it wasn't good. Like it wasn't good for me. And I just, feel like this was the best thing that's happened to me. Like it really like shifted my life and I could have still tried every drug in the world from a wheelchair, but I just, you're right. I chose not to, and just chose not to ruin my life. I felt like I was, I was not, I was just not in a good spot. I was not in a good spot before. And this really just, it turned it around. So gave me new perspective for sure. Mm -hmm. There was a point where you were also assisting others who had spinal cord injuries, how are you able to kind of share your mindset and what you've experienced and be able to give service to them as well? Yeah. One of the most like monumental things for me was the mentorship program. Like when the 
girls would come and talk about their life with me, newly injured, that gave me so much hope. Like I remember one of the girls, she was wearing jeans and I was like, oh my gosh, I thought I was never going to be able to wear jeans before after this, just because of the way that you are in the hospital and stuff. You're just like in sweatpants and you know, that, that seemed like it was going to be impossible. And so I was really adamant. Like when they asked me, like, do you want to be a mentor? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like that's something that was so important to me. I would love to do that for others. I will say I get like so crazy nervous every time I go and mentor someone and I'm always like, I don't know what to say. I don't know how people are going to be and, and things like that. So it's, it's kind of weird, but it's probably like the best way I've ever given back or participated in any kind of, it's not even like a charity program, but just like a community service Mm -hmm. program. And I've met some really good friends that way too. So whenever I get nervous, I'm like, just be yourself because that's all that matters. Answer questions. And if they don't want to talk, they don't want to talk. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think just for me, I always have to put myself back into those first couple months of when I was in the hospital. Like, it's not about you today, Megan. It's a put yourself there. And what did you need from people at that time? And I just needed someone to wear jeans. So I wear jeans every time and I don't like to wear jeans right now, but (laughs) every time I go, like, it's just kind of something that I've never even told anyone. It's just like a little thing I do, like a ritual. I love Uh that. Yeah. I'm like, don't go like looking like a slob, like you always are. (laughs) Don't go in your like athletic clothes. There's nothing wrong with athleisure. There isn't. There isn't. (laughs) But for some reason, like that was so inspiring to me when someone came in with their like hair straightened and their makeup on and a pair of jeans. And I'm like... That's what people need to see. So I just tell myself that, you know, just show up, be who you are. And that's about it. Yeah. But I do get so disproportionately nervous when I meet newly injured people. I don't know why. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. Because in every other thing, when I get nervous, I tell myself that, like, just be who you are. And that's enough. But I get so nervous with that. So weird. It makes sense too. Like, I feel like kind of what you said before, like everyone has a different experience. Everyone's injury is different. So if that's true, you never know who your mentee will be and what they're experiencing. Yeah. And I mean, I've had people, they usually try to pair you up with girls Mm -hmm. and then try to get like your age range, you know? So you're more relatable to people. And I've had everywhere from people who just want to like talk to you for four hours. And then some people who are like, just not ready. And that's totally fine. So yeah, you don't really know what you're rolling into with that. So yeah, but I would say, I mean, yeah, it's just, it's been a journey. My goodness, for sure. So let's keep going with some of your adventures too. Yeah. Cause you wanted to dig into some of it, but how, how did you meet Chris, your husband? Oh yeah. So my husband, Chris, love him. He was, so back to my scuba diving story, mm-hmm. my buddy, my scuba buddy was Dwayne. So my, my husband's dad, but I didn't know my husband. I didn't know Chris existed. So Dwayne is a neurotherapist. So he does physical therapy for people with spinal cord injuries and strokes and things like that. And he also has a passion for scuba diving. So he's always a part of that program. And so he taught me how to scuba dive. And he was my buddy when we went to Mexico. And we just kind of like just being in that world, like became friends, I guess. A few months, years, I don't even know. Later, I mentor someone named Madi. Shout out to Madi. And Madi is a patient of Dwayne at his therapy clinic. And Chris thought, my husband, thought that he wanted to be a physical therapist. So he was his um, physical therapy 
assistant, I guess. I was hanging out with Maddie one day and she was like, I really like this guy named Chris. He's the physical therapy assistant. Like he's so cute. He's so sweet. He's so nice. Like I kind of want to hook up with him. And I was like, well, you shouldn't do that because you have a boyfriend. But, um, (laughs) and I, I had no idea who Chris was. And I was like, but you know, do whatever you want, girl. But I'm just saying like, I wouldn't do that because you have a boyfriend. She's like, yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) So she invited Chris. And so since they were friends, she invited Chris and me both to her birthday party. And I don't remember meeting my husband that day at all. He remembers meeting me very well because he's like, I really didn't like you. I kind of thought you were a stuck up bitch when I first met you. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I was so nice. I was like, I don't even remember meeting you. Like, why would you even say that? He's like, because Maddie was talking about getting a car, like adapted for her. And this guy who was Chris (laughs) came up and was like, you should get this kind of a car. And I was like, that's so stupid. Like, that's the dumbest car you could get as a person in a wheelchair. And here's why. I had no idea who he was. I had no idea he worked in the industry. You know, I just was like, he doesn't know anything. And Maddie went with my car option. So fast forward, I won that argument already. (laughs) And then I met Chris again. The next, I went to the spinal cord injury camp retreat and met him again there. And I guess on the way, him and his dad were going to volunteer at that. And on the way up, he was like, hey, dad, do you think that Megan girl is going to be there? He's like, yeah, probably. And Chris was like, oh, I just really don't like her. I don't like her. And Dwayne was like, yeah, but she's like kind of a badass. So she deserved, because Chris was like, she's really cocky. And Dwayne was like, yeah, but she's badass because so she kind of deserves to be really cocky. And didn't talk to Chris like the whole weekend. And I was getting in the car to leave and I saw him and I was like, he's kind of cute. So I asked for his number and then he gave me the real one. And I was like, why did you give me the real one if you didn't even like me? You avoided (laughs) me like the plague for a weekend. You didn't like me when you first met me. He's like, I don't know. I panicked. I'm like, I'm glad you did. I was like, just give me the wrong phone number. So full circle. And then like it all kind of started clicking. I was like, oh my gosh, you're Dwayne's son. And like, you're the guy that my friend wanted to make out with and cheat on her boyfriend with. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. I'm just going to marry you. Yeah, I'm going to marry you now. And yeah, two weeks into it, I was like, I'm going to marry this guy. And I remember being mad because I was 19. So I was like, I don't even have, I'm so young. Like, I don't have any like of my 20s to be a hoe, but it was great. (laughs) (laughs) It was so great. Yeah. And he kind of thought the same thing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So being married to him is awesome. One, he has a little bit of knowledge of physical therapy. So that's been helpful. (laughs) Um, Just physically. He's not, he decided he didn't want to be a physical therapist. By the way, guys, he's like six foot eight. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. He's like six, four, but yeah, he's like a real big guy. And he just would like throw me around. So in the beginning of our relationship, I was like smitten by that. I was like, just pick me up and like take me places. Yeah. It was so nice. And then also kind of such a small world because he worked with one of your friends, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. So that's how I met you in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So it's just like this huge, small world. Yeah. Mm hmm. And then Chris trained my dog. Oh, yeah. And then Chris changed your dogs. Yeah. Yeah, So he's training dogs for a while. So I met Megan years ago because Chris worked with one of my girlfriends. She's an occupational therapist. And then you worked with her sister at Lulu. Yeah. And then 10 years later, I don't know how long is it, six years later, seven years later? I don't even know. It feels like forever. Probably. I hear about. Jenna's telling me that she's got this dog trainer and yada, yada, yada. And then she tells me who it is. I'm like, I know him. <laughs> I, I, don't know him. Know, I don't even think I knew his last name. Did I? 
I think so. Did I? Okay. Maybe. But it was just, it is, it's a small world. Yeah. I mean, my husband knows everyone. He's seriously one of those guys like you can't take anywhere. Like we were in New York and someone saw him on the subway and was like, Hey, Chris, I know you. And he's like, Hey, what's up? Jake is like that too. Yeah. It's really annowing sometimes. Stop knowing everybody. Stop knowing everyone. So Kyle, my husband has met Chris before. And you guys came to our old house on Gilbert once. Yeah. And like they've met in passing, but they, Kyle was like, yeah, I ran into your friend, Chris. And he's like, I didn't really recognize him at first because he's got, yeah, he's, he's got like this massive beard. He changes now his and, look often for sure. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you're Lindsay's husband. And he's like, yeah. He's like, who is this guy? Like waving me down in Ace Hardware or wherever they were. But it was just really funny. I'm like, yeah, Megan says he remembers everybody. Yeah, he really does. So yeah, we're definitely like opposites attract there. Much more introverted. Don't know anyone. Avoid people that I do know. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh. I'll be over here. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been awesome. And I mean, I guess the biggest adventure that we've done together. So we got married. We've been married for, it'll be five years. And then the first year of our marriage, we decided to sell our first house and travel. So we bought a trailer and there's a company here in Mesa that makes like accessible trailers. So we had one of those built, which was awesome. And then we just traveled around for eight months in our trailer with our dogs. So that was a huge adventure. And you've been to how many states? 49. Oh my gosh. I haven't been to Arkansas and I know that's like that's the most so, random that's one. That's the weirdest thing. I would have imagined that I it know. was like Alaska. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. We really missed it. And then I was like, we need to go back, like fly there, drive there. I don't know. It's not easy to get from Arizona to Arkansas. I will say that, but we'll make it there one day. So no, we drove to Alaska and back and we didn't, we didn't go to Arkansas. <laughs> so, that is funny. Yeah. And then when we got back, we went to Hawaii. So it was yeah. our goal to go to all 50. And I do kind of feel like, oh, why don't we just go? But eh, whatever. Well, maybe that's the first stop after the COVID stuff. Yeah. You I, guys, like, I think to, it like, is. Go to just Arkansas. randomly. Yeah. There's well, got to be something there. Um, there's saying. Hot Springs National Park. There you go. So Yeah. Everyone's like, Arkansas is probably crappy anyway. I'm like, no, I've heard it's really pretty. It like, is really pretty, but I don't know anything much to do there. I've been there once. I have extended family there then. Mm. I know Walmart was founded there, but mm. yeah. It's got it. a little heritage. A little heritage. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. So that was like definitely the biggest adventure and the most recent adventure, I guess, that we've been on. But, you know, then I started a business. So that's an adventure too. Yes. It is an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. I have to give myself some credit or like a little bit of slack when I'm like, we haven't gone anywhere. Like we're so boring now. And I'm like, oh, wait, you like started a business. Mm -hmm. You went back to school for something else. Like you've been in this field trying to grow this business. Like that's an adventure. So you guys have had several new beginnings. Chris has been and had a couple transitions and Mm -hmm. you being an entrepreneur. Yeah. You want to share about that right now? Sure. Yeah. So... I guess like transitioning into my interior design career, when I was 20, I was like, okay, I want to buy a house because I want to be super comfortable where I live. And I, first of all, finding accessible housing is a nightmare. Like apartment complexes are required to have it, but there's usually a waiting list because they might only have like one or two units. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bypass that and I'm going to do it myself. So 
I bought a house. This was when Chris and I were first dating. So I was his landlord. And I was like, okay, we're going to renovate it. One of his best friends is a contractor. So he helped me. And I was like, I'm super adamant about not living in a hospital. Like I don't, I just kept telling him, I'm like, I don't want it to look like someone in a wheelchair lives here. And it wasn't because I was ashamed of being in a wheelchair. It was just because like, I have another part to me, you know, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be this way. And he was like, okay. And he kept like spewing off like ADA guidelines. And I was like, well, you can go to this medical supply company for this. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like you're not getting it. Like I need it to be me. I need it to be me and I want it to be pretty. And I also want to be able to sell it in a few years, you know, and I don't want to like pigeonhole myself. And I don't know if that's true, but that's how I felt. So we moved in and started gutting this house and it took way too long. It took like nine months to be finished, which is like a nightmare for me now, but (laughs) it was our first time and we didn't know what we were doing. And we created this really beautiful house. I'm so proud of that first house. So what we did there, it was already had tile except for the bedroom. So I ordered new tile for the bedrooms, tried to match it. And the whole house was tile, which was super easy for my chair. And then the biggest ticket items for being in a wheelchair are bathrooms and kitchens, just like for everyone else. To me, bathrooms are a little bit more important because everyone like does their own thing in the bathroom and like does it their own way. And kitchens are a little bit more standard, but that's not always true. So the first thing we did was the bathroom, did this huge roll in shower, like a roll under sink, like extended the water closet for my chair to be able to transfer on the toilet. We did closet system that brought down the top shelf or the top hanger of clothes. So you just pull it down and it's at your level. So that like, I just fell in love. I fell in love with the process of remodeling the house. And like the stress was exciting to me. Like everything. I just loved everything. You knew what it was going to be. Yeah. I knew what it was going to be. And I was really, really confident in it. At the same time, I was working at Lululemon and I was in charge of the visual merchandising there. And I really loved working at Lululemon. Like a part of me was like, I graduated college with environmental science, but I didn't want to use my degree (laughs) at that point. And I was like, I might just work in retail. I might just work in visual merchandising from the rest of my life. So I was kind of exploring that career. So I was going to work and I really only wanted to be at work if I wasn't doing anything to do with visual merchandising. And I would go home and like renovate my house. And I was like, wait a second, there's something that's like the similar here. And it was design. When that clicked, I was like, okay, well, what kind of design do you want to do? Do you want to do visual merchandising or do you want to like try interior design? And no brainer, interior design. Then at that point, I started like having flashbacks of my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, Megan, you're always painting your room. You painted your bathroom like a thousand times. You are always like begging your mom for new like decor. You took interior design in high school, which I didn't even... I mean, apparently it was a thing at my high school. So I was like, you were getting set up for this career in design. My grandpa started a furniture store here in Arizona. He had like five locations at um, one time. My parents ran one of them. My aunt should have been an interior designer. She never was, but like, she's so talented with that. My grandma was obsessed with design. My uncle, my dad, they were both like furniture reps. So like my whole family is in this industry. Yes. And I didn't even realize it. Like when I was younger, I just never thought of it as a career. You know, I kind of wish I would have, but it doesn't really matter. So when that clicked, it was right at the time where 
our house was done. We lived in it for a while. And I was like, okay, like I really want to get into design. My husband and I got married. Then we sold our house to travel. And during that traveling time in our trailers, when I was like really researching, like, what does it take to be an interior designer? You don't really need schooling for the most part. If you want to have your own business, if you want to work for a company, that's a different story. You do kind of need schooling, but I didn't like college in the first place. So I didn't want to go back. And I found a school in Fountain Hills here. That was a six month program. So I was like, you know, what? I'll do that. And we're going to be an interior designer now. <laughs> so that's what I did. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? Like the world doesn't need another interior designer. Like that's not true for people who want to be an interior designer, but, (laughs) but I was like, you have, I'm like, I have such a different perspective. Like what is going to make me different is just who I am. Who are you? You're a person in a wheelchair. How did you really get into a design designing for yourself? I was like, Oh my gosh. And then thinking about it, I was like, I would have loved to work with an interior designer for my house. Like I look at pictures of our old house and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you probably could have used a little help with that. <laughs> like some of the things were great and some of the things weren't. That's how it always goes. Yeah. Learning experience for sure. And I was like, beyond that, beyond making your house beautiful, beyond making it functional, like the feeling that you have when your house is at that level of both beauty and function for you personally, to me was straight empowerment. Knowing that I could go home and I'm safe and I'm comfortable, everything is set up the way that I need to, to like live my best life. I can go out into the world and I can tolerate a higher level of being uncomfortable knowing that I get to go home every day and like be super comfortable. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of soul searching and there still is. So that's what I try to bring to my clients now is that's what our business model is. So not only bringing that aesthetic, not only bringing that function, you know, that's kind of, it can be easy, not always, but bringing that feeling of like, like, I can't wait to go home. You know, there's not a word for that. No, that, that, yeah. That's about what it is. (laughs) You know, like traveling is great, but then after seven days somewhere, you're like, I need to go home. Yeah. Like I never understood my bed. Rock stars, how they can be on the road all the time or celebrities when they have these beautiful homes and they just don't ever get to like, I can't imagine living out of a suitcase all the time. I'm a homebody. Yeah. I love my home. I love being home. Mm -hmm. You have to coax me out with chocolate or something because (laughs) I like to be home. Chocolate, beaches. Yeah. (laughs) Orange Fairy. Okay, fine. Yeah. Is there an Orange Fairy there for Jenna? (laughs) Finally. Yeah. Ice cream. Okay. But yeah, no. So Megan designed our master bathroom. We hired her because you do virtual with COVID and everything. Yeah. So anyone can hire her to do any space in their home. Mm -hmm. We did the master and I'm, we're now getting bids from people to see how much coin I need to cough up for this project. I'm (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited about that. Yeah. So I've had my business for two years now and the first few, like six months or so, I was also working with another like design company. So It's really been like a year, year and a half that I've been like truly just on my own. And I, interior design is one of those luxury items. And I'm very well aware of that. At the same time, I think the feeling of having people be safe and empowered and comfortable in their home is something that everyone should experience. So when I started, I was like, you know, I was getting a lot of feedback, especially from my friends who are all, you know, we're all in our 20s and we're not 
super established financially and they're like, I really want to afford you, but I can't. And I was like, there's got to be a way that I can like still make your house pretty and not, not be this like extreme luxury service. So that's when I started virtual design. And it wasn't going so well until COVID. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not gonna lie. Got, you know why? Because we're all sitting here looking at the same damn four walls. Yeah, like, fuck it. I need something different I need here. Something. And I changed up my virtual design services a little bit to be like more COVID friendly. So, so yeah, I've I've offered it for a while, but it's definitely ramped up during COVID, which has been awesome. Mm-hmm. So, I've also done you know not only adaptive design, I've done you know, people who walk too. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't exclude people right now. So yeah, so anything, but I do definitely have that focus of adaptability, accessibility. There's so many different terms for it. Mm -hmm. Accessible design, adaptive design, ADA design, universal design, which is its own thing, which is what we're doing with Ability360. What that means is in making a design for either a product or a space encompass all of its users to the best of its ability. So that's a huge statement and a huge undertaking. Yeah. Um, thinking, yeah. Thinking of every single detail for every single kind of person, yeah, no matter what their physical ability. Mm-hmm. So, well, they got the right person, I think. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. We should be done in a month, hopefully. Uh, I can't wait to hear <laughs> how the, the finale of that goes because they're closed again, right? They're still closed. Yeah. Yeah. They closed again. Their pool is open. Mm-hmm. Um, their pool is allowed to be open, but yeah, they're closed again. Which, and I mean, another blessing, I guess, for us so we can get our construction done without mm-hmm. having to bother the guests there. So, I mean, that project has been probably like one of the most reassuring things to me as a business owner. Thinking of this idea that hasn't been done before. I mean, I scoured the internet. I can't find another accessible designer. I've found people who can do accessible design, but they're not, they don't have the same perspective I do. Having... Uh, such like a monumental resource, I guess, for me here in Arizona, like recognize and reach out to me and be like, Hey, we want you to be our designer. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like, that's so cool. I feel like I made it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it's kind of a smaller project, I was like, this is awesome. Like, it's awesome to get that recognition yeah. as a business owner with a new idea, yeah. I guess. And to be validated that yeah, way. Be validated. Totally. The accessible design or adaptive design, the various terms, it's, you know, the more conversations you and I have had about, you know, how necessary it is, whether it's hotels, apartments, and really creating a unique space, right? It's like what you said even before, like, I just don't want to go out and buy handrails and go to the store and get a bunch of industrial supplies. I want it to be me and I want to to feel good. You want that relief, you know, and to feel comfortable in that space. And it's just, it's needed, right? Yeah. For so many. And Absolutely. I remember you saying even you're like, I went to a hotel once and just getting in and out of the bed. Like it was supposed to be an accessible room and it wasn't. And it's just, I feel like it's an area that's so it's just overlooked. And I think it's a shame. Yeah, it is overlooked. And I am not the best quote disabled person because I didn't even realize that the ADA has only, this is its 30th anniversary. So that ADA got passed in 1990, like in our lifetime. So it is newer. I mean, it's yeah, kind of weird to say that. But. I know like in some of the older homes, even there, there's a lot of things that aren't ADA, like yeah. the door handles and everything. Yeah. I know. I didn't know what that was. And Jake had to tell me, no, those aren't ADA. You have to have the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the knobs, like for the me, knobs the knobs are, are horrible. Like yeah, if you don't have you hand can't grip, grab onto them. Yeah. Horrible. So there's so many little things like that. 
And then it is like a newer topic of discussion. I don't know what to call it, but it's a newer guidelines, but it's so needed. Oh my gosh, it's so needed. And so when I started my business, I was like, I'm just going to make people's homes functional and pretty. And it's really like evolving for me to be like, oh my gosh, this is like so much more important and sometimes overwhelming. I'm like, there's so many like cool big things that need to be happen or and can happen. And I'm like, I can do that. Like, once again, it's just like back to, I feel like well, when I just first in, got paralyzed, like general, I can do that. Like a lot of people's, a lot of homes aren't very well thought out. Yeah. Regardless. Right. Right. And you're like, why, why there? is this there? We were looking at, I was looking at something. I was looking at homes in Bend, Oregon. Mm. May or may not have wanted to like move to the wilderness somewhere. But anyway, <laughs> there was this home and it was like a double oven and then the microwave was on top. And Yikes. I was like, unless you're 18 Who feet tall, who decided this? Chris. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I mean, Jenna, Chris we're like the same height. Exactly. <laughs> like sitting down. Exactly. I was, and I'm, I'm sitting here looking into your kitchen, which has no upper cabinets. No. And it's like my dream kitchen because she has all of her lower cabinets or drawers. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best setup too, because I hate reaching. You know, I have to get a step stool Ugh. and it's just a waste of space. Yeah. Should why? All, be, all the functional stuff should be down lower. Mm-hmm. In yeah. my opinion, <laughs> the person short girl from. I'm sure Chris would hate bending, bending over all the time. Well, I know. I like really convinced Chris on our kitchen remodel because for, I mean, I'm still married to a man. So yeah. <laughs> getting projects done in my house isn't as easy as one may think. And um, yeah, for him, like we just had doors on all the bottom and that's where all of our plates and stuff were. Cause I was like, I refuse to ask you to get plates and cups and like, that's stupid. And it was hard for him. Like it was really hard for him to bend down basically to the floor but to like get plates are the and best stuff. Solution. Yeah, drawers are yeah, the, the best. Drawers solve that. You're, totally. you're not having to like contort your body to reach and into a cabinet. Yeah, it's just bending there. down. I'm just, yeah, I I love your kitchen. Thank you. Just sitting here looking at it. So I had to like kitchen. spin it for my client and be like, "This is going to make your life better, Chris. Like this is how." <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and people are like, you're an interior designer. Just do it. I'm like, I'm a married woman. I can't just do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I have another 50% I, yeah. of this equation. I yeah. to agree on it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I need both signatures here. So, But I love that whenever you get a uh, wild hair, it seems like he's always the Instagram husband who's like hanging things and yeah. moving things. There's been a lot of uh, practice on that, I guess. That's, he's, that's a good word. They're like coaching him. Yeah. 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 There's been a lot of fights. Like it's not as cute as it seems. It's cute now for sure. Like he's, we've definitely learned how to like work with each other on that. But no, in the beginning it was not that fun. I mean, how does he feel when you're like, I want to paint another room? Yeah. I, I mean, want to repaint that wall. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'll do the first, I'll do two thirds. You just got to do the top. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm proud. And I think he is too. Like most of the things you see here, like you feel like, oh, Chris probably did that. No, like I, I did most of it. It's beautiful. Thanks. It's beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. But yeah, I mean, the topic of accessible design is just so much bigger. It's just so much bigger for sure. And so much more important. Like I've found my two loves over this past 11 years, home design and travel. Like I can't live without those two things. Like I need a gorgeous house and I need to be able to travel and learning how to make that better for people who are like me is 
definitely becoming one of my passions. So when you're talking about like hotel design and stuff, Lindsay, like I, I'm so obsessed with that. Like I, I cannot posted and not one yeah. long ago, a really cute hotel. It looked like a house. Oh yeah. Lido house in Newport beach. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was so cute. Yeah. That's like kind of their thing is like, it's more homey, Yeah, but there's just, for me, there's no reason why things shouldn't be accessible, you know, like, well, besides time and money and effort and knowledge, those are reasons, but, but it's just, is it really that much more? It's not, but if you already have something and you need to renovate it, you know, like getting, getting Mm that's in motion is not easy. Like I'm, I'm very aware of other people's perspectives as well, because I used to have it. Like I used to be a normal, able-bodied walking person. And so I've had that perspective. And I just like when people get really mad about things, I don't really feel that. I'm just like, oh, like they just don't know my perspective. And so sharing that with other people, it's like, oh, well, well, of course you can have a roll-in shower in your hotel room. Like I like roll-in showers too. I like not having a tub, you know, like for me, accessible design is just better for everyone. Like it really is. And creating the aesthetic behind it, smashing the stigma of it looking like an old person's home or a hospital or something like that is what we're about. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I definitely see big things. COVID has pushed forward a lot and then also like held back a lot of those, but we're playing with that. Ebbs and flows. Ebbs and flows. And, you know, I hope I never have another job in my life besides my company. So I'm also, yeah, I'm just like, okay, well, you're not job material (laughs) anymore. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You know, I got a job offer a couple of weeks ago from a girl. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so flattering. I was like, it "Um, is flattering when that happens. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I I was like, I'm like, I would be a really bad employee. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, yeah, I wasn't the best. I'm not going to lie. I was like, this is stupid. Why would we do this? Like- after you've had the freedom and the ability to make, I don't even think it's necessarily the freedom because you get freedoms as a business owner that you have in one thing that you lose a whole other set. Like you said, we haven't traveled as much because you're right. But I think you just, it's the decision making and the fact that you're in charge that that goes away. You you won't be happy camper. It, yeah. It's <laughs> just the free, it's the straight up freedom yeah. for me. I like crushing that Monday through Friday, nine to five business model is what we're about. Like, I, I don't know. I want to work as little as possible and get the most done, you mm-hmm. know, which means sometimes you work more than 40 hours a week. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But like over my life, I just, you know, I love my job. I love my career, but there's so many more things to my life than that. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't bring it into my career, then I'm, you know, I'll, I need the free time in order to do that on my own. I love having my business. Even when I was in high school, I kind of felt like I was probably going to get into like entrepreneurship and it's been really empowering and like build a lot of confidence to know that like I can still be who I am as a a person and then like run it through the perspective that I have. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing I was adamant about, like when I was first injured, I was like, I don't want my job to be about activism, about for people in wheelchairs. (laughs) Like, I don't want my whole job to revolve around my disability. Like, I'm so much more than that. And so, even though my job kind of does, it doesn't to me. You know, I feel like it's a, there's a bigger purpose behind it though. Yeah, it's not just we're talking about this because we're talking about this and we need awareness on yeah, this thing. Right. You know, it's more like how can I make life better for all of us, mm-hmm. which is awesome. 
and through my perspective and that's of, exciting. yeah, it's so exciting of home design and travel. Mm-hmm. Like I want other people in wheelchairs to tackle the other stuff, you yeah. know, like, because I don't know anything about that. And I don't have a lot of passions about other things that people have passions for. Like I want to create that space. I think that's important for us as humans. It doesn't yeah. even matter who you are. Like do what you're passionate about and think, make your difference yeah. there. So I think anything, cool. if anything is going to be successful, you have to have a shared perspective too. Mm-hmm. You should want to have multiple perspectives and you give a really unique one. And for you just to really build on that is, and the way you are mm-hmm. and the way you're sharing it is incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate it. You said, Oh, they just don't know my perspective. Yeah. They just don't know. I don't get mad. I just say, Oh, they don't know my perspective, which is, I don't even know. Like, do you even hear that anymore? No, uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. but no, I, perspective I think I'm that we need to. Oh my gosh. It like is refreshing. Yeah. Like I don't need people to get mad for me for injustices against the disabled community. Like I just, you just don't know my perspective, you know, that's it. Also, like, I just feel, I feel really grateful to be living in 2020 mm-hmm. <laughs> as a disabled person, because I've heard the stories of people who this happened to in the sixties and seventies. And like one woman in particular, who was a nurse who helped me through so much. She, she went to ASU, I think in the eighties or seventies, and she had to get carried up a flight of stairs every single day to all of her classes. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I would have never done that. And here's that word. Like I would never done that. I probably, maybe I would have, but I was like, I didn't like school enough to be like, have to put myself in that position to ask someone to carry you up a flight of stairs to get your degree. So I think it's important to recognize like where we've come because I went to ASU and I didn't have to ask anyone to carry me anywhere. And so there's been so much growth and we just need to continue that mm-hmm. by sharing people's perspectives. So I love it. I love it too. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all of this. I don't know if there's any last, any last thoughts. I think any burning desires to share anything else we didn't cover before no. we go through our final five. No final five it up. All right. So the first one, I'll let you take it away. Well, you already know I don't have to explain the shit sandwich to you. I know the shit sandwich. But what is your shit sandwich? Oh, my goodness. I mean, for being a paralyzed person, I'm going to have two. My shit sandwich is using the bathroom. That is something that is annoying. Yeah. Like, I just got to do it. Like I, my shit sandwich is literally shitting. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh. I was talking to Lindsay about this a while ago. I was like, you know, I wish I was so diligent about other things in my life as I am about my poop schedule. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so much TMI. Oh my gosh. I appreciate a good poop schedule myself. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people, you got to be diligent with it. So that's that about my personal life. And then for my business, oh my gosh, shit sandwich for my business is probably feeling like the the overwhelm mm-hmm. of like you have so much that you could do for the world or other people or your community and then just dealing with that mm-hmm. for sure you know like feeling you like you got some fomo yeah there's a lot of fomo there's a lot of like am i doing enough all the time yeah i don't know if that ever goes away i don't think it will i don't really want it to to be honest like I think it does drive me. I think me. that's the embers that burn all the yes, time. Yes, absolutely. So when you're, it's exhausting, but you're also yeah. like, at least I have the fire. Cause right. when that goes away, then you know. Yeah, like, oh, what should you be doing? You this? might need to <laughs> probably find something else. You might need mm-hmm. to go back to a job. Yeah. <laughs> go be an employee. <laughs> yeah, that would be terrible. I'm going to be the worst employee you ever had, but I'm here because I'm, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Next one is what is your favorite failure? Or if you don't like the word failure, what is one of your greatest lessons you've learned? Oh, greatest lessons, favorite failure. My, I don't know about failure, but lessons is just, you can do this. That's Mm -hmm. it. Like I just have to tell myself that over and over and over and over constantly because something too, like with personally. And then I think when other people look at me and they're like, Oh my gosh, you've done such hard things. Like you can do this. And there's been some times where I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, yeah, I can like get over getting paralyzed, but like, I can't stop eating bread. Like (laughs) (laughs) that's way too hard, you know? Yeah. So there's like things like that. Like it doesn't mean that because you went through something hard, that you, I guess this is another never lesson. Again. Yeah, that you never struggle again, or that you just need to keep like raising the hard bar. Like you're like, I already did that. That was so hard. So like, I can deal with everything else that's less hard than that. No, the, so those two things. Thank you for reminding us of all that too, because it's it's your perspective, right? And I think people would maybe just assume that, be like, oh, she can do it. Yeah, she's already been through so much. Already been through so much. When yeah. you're human, right? We all have our Haven't struggles. You said though, like there have been things that you've dealt with in your life that have been harder. Maybe that was a post like that, that, that wasn't the hardest thing. No, I mean, I broke my shoulder in August. So less than a year ago and that grieving process and healing process was rough for me. And I, I remember telling my husband, I was like, I feel so guilty, but I feel like this is harder for me to deal with than being paralyzed because I didn't feel like myself when I, when I broke my shoulder, I didn't have like aha moments. I didn't have a nurse, like I'm a husband and he washed my hair and that was really nice. But yeah, and and the guilt, like let it, learning to let go of that guilt of like, because, okay, you went through this injury and now this injury is like getting you this down, like get it together, girl. Like you're mm. fine. It will heal up and it's fine, you know, but there's so much going on. There's so much going on in life in general. Like mm-hmm. my perfect storm of paralysis was the best case scenario in my opinion. Like there were so many things that made that the best it could be. And then you're just at different stages of your life, you know, yeah. and things are different. Yeah. Makes sense. It mm-hmm. does make sense. The next one is what is a quote you yes. live your life by or think of often? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, there's so many. I'm going to quote my grandpa. He once told me he was like, plan, organize, execute, control. Does it? Mm-hmm. He like never speaks. He's like one of those old guys who's just like a man of few words. And I was like, mm. he's like, that's how I run my business. I was like, okay. <laughs> Duly noted. Yeah. So I have that written down plan, everywhere. Plan, organize. Plan, organize, execute, control. It's like such a man way to do things, you know? You just like, that's all you got to do. These are the buckets. That's just it. <laughs> yeah. But I uh, like it linear. Yeah. Yeah. Totally linear. But it brings me like, it centers me a little bit. So that, and then my grandma, she's like, life is about choices, Megan. So that's about it. I mean, those two, those two like ring in my head Mm -hmm. always. Yeah. There's like a bunch more, but those those are important ones. ones. Those are great ones. Yeah. They are great. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to take the other ones because I don't remember. I suddenly don't remember what we asked at the end of these <laughs> I've interviews. I've captivated Jenna. <laughs> the fourth one is what are two of your values or three? Three. Three of your values. Three of my values. Oh, my goodness. I, we have this like written down somewhere. We do. Yeah. I'm going to do it today. Innovation, for sure, is one of my values. I get so geeked out by innovation. 
holla at your girl. I want a Tesla for that reason. <laughs> um, adventure. Like I, I've realized I definitely need adventure in my life and a value I'm working real, real hard on right now is health because I feel like I'm already in like a physically compromised state. And so I need to like get my health like in tip top shape in order to achieve the things I want to. Mm-hmm. So Awesome. Mm-hmm. And the last one is how can our listeners connect with you and where can they find you on the socials? Oh yeah. So we're all over Instagram, blue copper design. We have a Facebook, but never use it, but you can find us there too. Blue copper design. Um, but I probably won't message you back on there. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> so don't go on Facebook. Okay, so don't go. go there. And then we have a Pinterest too. Blue copper design. <laughs> and our website is blue copper dot design. Perfect. Those are all the places. And we would love for you to share with our listeners because it is pretty amazing. Some of your virtual services that you're offering and maybe besides ability, maybe some things that you're working on to share with, share a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So we are really hitting the virtual design services hard, obviously with COVID. So we lowered our prices on that, which is awesome. And it's just charged per room. So as Jenna said, we did her master bathroom. And I've also done a library, a condo. So anything from furniture or if you need a renovation, it's kind of all together. Like we'll work with you that way. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're just, we're still getting inquiries during this time, which is great. So I'm kind of in like beginning stages of things, but right now we really just have ability that we're, we're wrapping up as well as like some other little smaller projects. Yeah. And then hoping for some new ones coming soon. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you you. for everything. (laughs) Thank you for being you and sharing your story with our listeners. We know they got so much from this and we're inspired. And you guys need to check out Megan at Blue Copper. She's very talented. Instagram is the place to be to check her out. You can see this gorgeous home that we're sitting in now. And if you see things in her posts that you like, you can ask her where she got them and she'll tell you. I'll tell you. I will. (laughs) I think I've spent, I've dropped some money after. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. Perfect. Thank you guys. It was great to talk with you too. So thank you. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. The Art of Getting Your Shit Together is produced and edited by LD Coaching and Blush Cactus Boutique Design Studio. We would love it if you'd head over to iTunes and subscribe, leave us five stars, and write a quick review. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends so that we can continue to grow our tribe. Tag us on Instagram at tagist underscore podcast with your shares, and we'll feature you on our story. Don't forget to grab our free guide, five things you can do right now to get your shit together and start living your best life over at tagus.com slash kick more ass. Remember your life only gets better when you decide to grow and it's never too late to get your shit together.